Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Blog Talk Radio. Hey, welcome to Let's Talk Tribe, Episode 3. This is your host, Jason Lucart. I'm uh, talking this week from Southern Oregon. I was supposed to be flying home tonight and recording tomorrow, but uh, apparently in San Francisco they were painting runways, and so they canceled flights from small airports. I'm not sure if that's true or not, but that's what they told us which seems like the most ridiculous reason to cancel a flight ever. Uh, in any event, uh, I'm here tonight. Uh, it's been a pretty good week since the last podcast for the Indians. They finished up a successful homestand by taking two of three from the Twins and then uh, started out on a long road trip, 11 games in 11 days against uh, or on the road, and uh, started out against the Orioles. Uh, they just finished losing tonight a few minutes ago, but still a, uh, a split of the four-game series against a good team. The uh, Indians are 40-38. and 38. They're only two and a half games back of Detroit. The Tigers seem to insist on not playing to what everyone sees as their talent level, and uh, so the Indians kind of still in it. And uh, three games back of Baltimore, who's holding the wild card, the second wild card right now. Um, so all in all, I think things are going pretty well. Um, we've got the, the road trip continues in Chicago this weekend with four games, uh, a doubleheader on Friday. I was supposed to be at that doubleheader, but I'm not sure I'll be able to now because of the travel situation. I'm hoping to get back and make it maybe middle of the first game. Uh, we'll see. The White Sox were off today, so they've sort of got a leg up on the Indians, but uh, the White Sox are also pretty terrible this year, so probably shouldn't be any excuses playing against them. We'll see how it goes. It's, it'll be my first chance to get to uh, an Indians game this year, so I'm looking forward to it. Um, yeah, what else is going on for the Indians? As Drupal Cabrera and Chris Perez have both been activated from the DL and uh, should be back for the doubleheader tomorrow, so it's good to have them back, get the regular team. And uh, Jason Kipnis has been on fire. Hopefully he can keep it up. And uh, with any luck, I'm having a little problem getting my guest on the phone here, but I think maybe I've got him. And if I do, I'll bring him on in just a second. Uh, I'm going outside the Let's Go Tribe community for my guest for the first time this week. Um, he's from our sister blog at SB Nation, uh, Southside Sox, the Chicago White Sox blog. I figured with four games coming up against them, it would be fun to talk to someone and maybe vent about the Tigers a little bit. So fingers crossed he's here for us. Uh, Mark Premiano is my guest this week. Mark, are you there? Yes, I am. It's good to have you. Oh, all right. Thanks for having me, Jason. I'm really becoming a podcast expert here. Uh, well, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me. Oh, no problem. Thanks for having me. Um, 
So are you are you you're a White Sox fan? I know. How did you become a White Sox fan? When did you become a White Sox fan? Uh, kind of just was born into it. Uh, my dad, his family he came. He's one of ten children, and when he was growing up, my grandma would take the kids to whichever side of the city had opening day that day for baseball because they used to alternate. Sure. And so, like half the kids wound up being Cubs fans, and the other half wound up being Sox fans. Luckily. My dad is one of the five that wound up being a Sox fan. And so as a kid, we always had uh, him and my uncle would split weekend season tickets. And oh, so nice. once a month or so, I'd get to go to a game. And it just kind of stuck. I didn't get heavily into it until high school. Uh-huh. But that was, yeah, around probably age 16 or so, it just clicked. And this is what I decided to use all my free time on. <laughs> So what 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 seasons are we talking there? When were you were you in high school and becoming a huge fan? Um, I it all clicked in oh three oh four, which was pretty oh, fortunate. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah, really good timing. It was uh, I was at a game against God, I want to say it was either Detroit or Anaheim in two thousand four, where I saw one of Willie Harris's like twelve career home runs. They lost <laughs> an extra innings, but it all just was just like, yep. I don't know. Next, I, yeah, I, I bet my parents the day that AJ Pierzynski signed that if the Sox won the World Series, I would get to ditch class and go to the parade because that would be my senior year. And once a month, I reminded them of the bet. And so on my dad's, what would it be, 47th birthday, I got to ditch high school to go up to the World Series parade. I was a senior in high school in '97 when the Indians were in the World Series and were leading Game 7 in the ninth inning, but we didn't get a parade, thanks to Jose Mesa. Goddamn Uh, Marlins. (laughs) So, big fan for about 10 years. Uh, Did you have, like, a a favorite player from back then? Um, When I was a little kid, it was Ozzie Guillen, because I was an idiot. (laughs) Uh, When I was very young, I remember crying the day they traded Jack McDowell. Sure. He played for the Indians a while. Yep. Um, and, yeah, it was I impossible to, to not hear, love Frank. I McDowell play the national anthem before a game on his guitar one time, which was pretty cool. I think he's still doing band stuff. I met him at sure a, Menards a couple of years ago <laughs> out here. <laughs> That's a big gig. Yep. Well, no, he wasn't playing. He was just signing. It was a grand opening. Oh, I see. I thought you meant his band was playing at a Menards. No, that would be that would be very very sad. <laughs> uh, it's funny you talking about Willie Harris's twelve home runs. I don't know if you've ever heard of Dwayne Kuyper. He was he played for the Indians back in the seventies and had one career home run and a pretty long career. I don't know how many years he played, but he had a full I career. The, uh, he was one of the announcers in um, MVP baseball games, right? Yeah. Yeah, I remember doing uh, that because of that, yeah. There's probably, you know, back then there were probably about 8,000 fans a game for the Indians, but there's probably 100,000 who'd say they were there for his one career home run. Um, a huge White Sox fan, how closely do you follow the rest of baseball? Do you Are you really focused just on the Sox, or do you keep an eye on everything else? Uh, I can't. Over the past couple of years, I haven't been able to focus as much as I'd like to and as much as I used to in undergrad because now I'm in uh, vet school out of Kansas oh. State. Uh-huh. That unfortunately drags me away from baseball a bit, but I do try to keep it as much as I can. 
Yeah. So do you – for me as an Indian fan, I'm sure you don't want to hear this, but the White Sox are one of the teams I sort of hate, um, and the Tigers because they've been good recently, and the Yankees because everyone should hate the Yankees. I can't really bring myself to care much about the Royals or Twins, but I'm from Chicago, and a lot of my friends are Sox fans. I feel like the Twins are a team that sort of tormented the White Sox. Who are the teams that drive you nuts? If I was your age, I would say the Indians, but I <laughs> was too young for that 90s dynasty. Yeah, absolutely. I remember there being tons of Indian fans at the park when I was little, anytime Cleveland was in town, but yep. I just don't have the formative memories of it. I remember Tigers fans being just horribly annoying, even when they were having those awful, awful years, like the 43 right. and they, yeah, year. Awful years. Yeah, and their fans were still just horribly obnoxious and never made a lick of sense to me. The Twins, uh, probably my least favorite team, though. Just Tigers' least favorite fans, Twins' least favorite team, just because that nonsensical streak where they just won the division every year and somehow just dominated the White Sox. Like a really mediocre roster. Yeah, it was just like, ooh, our best hitter is Torrey Hunter. And you're still winning like ninety something games, and and you have yeah you had Johan Santana, but the rest of the rotation was just garbage once Brad Radke retired, and yeah. it just never made sense that it worked like it did. Right, and those were years the Indians were pretty terrible anyway, so it just didn't matter to me that the Twins were winning year after year. But yeah, my my best friend's a huge Sox fan, and he hates the Twins, so I wondered if you might feel the same way. I, I think it's just every. Every Sox fan of the past decade, because of that ridiculous string of almost getting the Twins contracted to turning into just, oh, we're just somehow going to make the playoffs every year, but lose in the first round, get swept. <laughs> Garden Hire's record is what I think three and nineteen as a yeah, manager in the playoffs. Good. I know that much. Yeah, they, they won the ALDS once, but they never, never won an ALCS game that he's managed. Ridiculous. Well, I don't think you got to worry about the Twins this year, but I guess as a White Sox fan, you probably don't have to worry about much this year. Yeah. It's it's being really easy to just kind of zone out and watch other things. Yeah. Yeah, I, I find that too, that, I mean, sometimes when your team's really bad, that's when you start to pay a little more attention to other teams and get caught up on some of that stuff a little bit more. It can be kind of fun to watch a game sometimes that you don't have a big rooting interest in and just enjoy the game for the game. I find myself watching Nationals games for that reason. Yeah, yeah, like, they've got an interesting team. And I miss the Expos. Just really, sure. really miss the Expos. Yeah. I uh, Do you read Jonah Carey at all? Yeah. Yeah, you know, huge Expos fan. Um, he's got a book on the Expos coming out. I don't think it comes out until 2014, but I'm sure it'll be a good read. Okay. Yeah, it was I funny. I had to retire. I had to retire my Expo shirt because it turned into a giant bit of bad luck for me. Just had too many rough days in the past year wearing it that it, it had to be retired, and it really makes me sad that I can't wear it anymore. Yeah, they had sweet uniforms. You, uh, when I was you little, I thought it was the I, I, logo. I find that having grown up in the 80s and become a baseball fan in the 80s, I see the uniforms from the 80s, and I'm like, oh, that's the best uniforms. When the White Sox wear their, I think it's their 83 throwbacks that they're wearing on the weekends this year. Yeah, the Sunday pullovers, yeah. Yeah, whenever I see them, I'm like, oh, they should just go back. Those uniforms are great. But that's probably just nostalgia from my childhood. 
I, I don't I know. Those, the '83 jerseys are fantastic. Everybody loves yeah. them. Like, I think a lot of teams' jerseys '80s were great. There's a lot of powder blue, and apparently, I like powder blue baseball jerseys. The White Sox are miserable this year. Um, but I was looking a couple of weeks ago. I at Let's Go Tribe. One of the things I do is every week I do like a recap of the whole AL Central, so I kind of do like a quick summary of what every team did. And a couple of weeks ago, researching that, I noticed that I think this is the 20th season since they switched to three divisions in each league. So 20 seasons that the AL Central has existed. And the White Sox have never finished in last place and only once finished in fourth place. So this, this could be really the first time in your fandom that they're Lifetime. really a bad Lifetime. Team. Yeah. The last time that the White Sox were – just god awful. I think it was 1989, so I was a year old, right? And so yeah, the the years where that got them, um, got it. Alex Fernandez, Frank Thomas, and Robin Ventura right. all in a row. Yeah, yeah. They, put that yeah, they haven't up. been. Yeah, they have not been horrible since 1989 when they went 69 and 92. And then the next year they win 94 games. Right. Yeah, yeah I mean, I. As an Indians fan going back to 1986, I've gotten to experience everything. I've seen them <laughs> about the worst team in baseball, and I've seen them in the World Series a couple of times. And But, yeah, the White Sox have been – they haven't won the division a ton of times, but they've been pretty consistently like a, a solid team. Which yeah, they, I, I there's, there's a long streak of second-place finishes. Like if you right. look from 96 through 2004, they win the division once. Um, finished third in the division once, and then finished second in the division every year other than those. And it's just like, how? <laughs> well, I think one of the things that leads to is when you're when you're a, you know an 85-win team, a second-place team, you always feel like, oh, we're close. We need to add a piece. So the White Sox haven't really rebuilt or stripped the roster down. Uh, but it seems like this year, do you think they're, they're headed for uh, some sort of fire sale and rebuild? Um. I don't think it'll be a true fire sale because with being in Chicago and having Reinsdorf as an owner, the Sox will never have to just say, all right, punt. It's not like the Astros. It's not like the Marlins where they just, well, the Marlins have the money, but they have Jeffrey Loria. It's not like, yeah, they they don't have to just go, well, crap, we we can't manage. I do think they're going to be trading off parts. And the farm system, there's been a change over the past few years. Uh, the White Sox screwed up tremendously down in Latin America. They had a huge scandal. The head scout was skimming money to put into, this will sound like a joke, but a gay bar down in Phoenix that he owned. And all the scouts got busted for it. It ruined their reputation down there. And then the Sox went out and hired Toronto's head of uh, the Latin America area, Marco Patti, and They've been cranking out money down into Latin America. Apparently, they landed one of the top Dominican prospects is going to be signing for 1.6 mil next yeah, week. Yeah, I just saw that. Too. Yeah, that was Zapata. And uh, yeah, yeah, they're just they're they're reloading into it. There were all those years of drafting in the middle of the draft and right. never going over slot, and that's right. why the farm system's where it's at. And yeah, since they were always at that like 85 win plateau, where it's like, all right. Theoretically, another piece is what could put you over. Kenny Williams always was willing to go get that extra piece. And it's not so much that it came back to bite the socks on the ass as it is just 
there's really only one trade out of all of those, well, two, that really bothered me, and that was um, the second Nick Swisher trade. Because I had no problem with what they gave up to get Swisher, that they gave up on him so fast and got nothing back from the Yankees. The best yeah, piece they got from had, the Yankees was Wilson Betamine. Right, and he had four great years for them. Yeah. And uh, and when the other one is Daniel Hudson for Edwin Jackson, but then again, yeah. Hudson's been Hudson's been out of the league with right? injuries. Not that they could have predicted that. Yeah, it's it's going to be different watching the team. Um, they're going to be bad this year. They're going to be bad next year. But by so you had a, I was reading it. Uh, you had a post I think maybe yesterday on Addison Reed and uh, discussing. Uh, maybe trading him. And I, I mean, the point you were making that, you know, relief pitchers, closers especially, uh, you know, you get a reputation as a good closer and you suddenly become a really valuable commodity. But, you know, aside from Mariano Rivera, Joe Nathan, there's not a lot of guys who are good in the role. So I feel like, and I think this is sort of what you were saying, that if you have a guy like that and you're not a contending team, that's the perfect guy to try to spin off because you can probably get some real talent back for him. And by the yeah, time I mean, the way, Addison – Addison's a great pitcher, and it's. It, I will be upset. Uh, it'll suck to see him go. He's very fun to watch. It's been a hoot watching him climb up. By the end of the season, he's going to be top ten in the franchise in career saves. Right. But, yeah, in, it's. we're not going to compete until he's already in arbitration. So he's going to be making the bigger money. And, yeah, he still won't be getting paid what he's worth, and they could easily get him to sign up for a long-term deal because – Younger players just seem so much more willing to do that now than even bother with free agency. But then, yeah, I also worry that you get a walk, uh, Joaquin Soria-type situation where the Royals just kept holding on and holding on, thinking, uh, oh, he'll be here when we're going to contend again, so we might as well. And then he blows out his arm, and they get nothing for him. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm of the school of thought. If, if, if you're not a good team and you've got a closer with value, you trade him while he's got value, you can find someone else. The you know the Indians have Chris Perez who's sort of a headache and he had one or two really good years and he's been kind of so-so and you know people talk well oh, we should trade Perez now like, well, he's not worth anything now but um, so you said you're on break from school right now so are you back in the Chicago area I am in Plainfield right now and I will be up in the city this weekend are you going to any of the games Yep Saturday we have the Southside Sox meetup, where uh-huh. everybody from the site, all the writers come in. Um, Jim, the guy that runs the site, is from. He lives in Albany. Uh, uh-huh. One of the other editors is out in Seattle, and we all get together. We have a big tailgate. We go to the game, and then we keep drinking afterwards. Uh, might be going up to the Blackhawks parade tomorrow, maybe. Right. Cool. So when the White Sox are playing the Indians, anyone, anyone in the Indians strikes fear in your hearts? Um, I've been a huge Carlos Santana fan since I don't know how you guys got him for Casey Blake. That still blows my mind. And Kipnis seems to do well against the Sox, so that could just be home cooking for him. Yeah, yeah, he is. He's from North, from uh, Northbrook, right? Right, yep. One of the North Burbs. Yes. He's been killing the ball lately. Uh, I had a, I was writing this morning. He's been, I think his OPS entering today anyway, you know, I've been, been able to look, but entering today, his OPS for June was 1,000, and he's got the best offensive numbers of any second baseman in the league. So it's been nice to see him 
step up. He he came up in 2011 at the end of the year and hit really, really well. And he was a highly touted prospect. So there's sort of a sense of, oh, this guy's going to be great. And then last year, he wasn't bad, um, but he certainly didn't step forward at all as a hitter. But this year, he's, he started really slowly, but he's been on fire lately. And good yeah, I view him as kind of an Ian Kinsler light. Yeah. Well, if, if you've seen his body type, I wouldn't call him an anyone light, but but I know oh, no, just the hidden numbers, yeah, yeah, the yeah, stat numbers. Yeah, no, I mean he's you know like a twenty twenty type guy, and he's worked his way to being a a competent defender at second base and learned to draw walks and into a really good player. He's got basically the same OPS for the past months as Adam Dunn, which when you can right. say that as a second baseman and right. say that as like good Adam Dunn, not. Poor bad Adam Dunn. Yeah, that's, that's pretty pretty valuable coming from a second baseman. Yeah, absolutely. But I'm a big Santana fan too. He's been my guy for the last couple of years, and he's playing well this year too. We were, we were talking a little bit this week about you know, I think All Star selections come up maybe a week from today, a week from tomorrow, and that's got to be getting close. Yeah, who might make it? I could, Chris Sale's got to be a lock for the White Sox. And maybe, no, it's Sale's going to be a lock. Um, Jesse Crane. Deserves it. I don't know that he'll be a lock, but he. Yeah, I mean, and he, you're right. And he hit what, like 30 straight scoreless innings or something like that? Yeah, it was 29 straight uh, appearances without giving yeah. up a run. His ERA right now is .52. His ERA plus 837. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah, it is just yeah, like it's such a silly league. looking number. I think right, his uh, right. ERA minus is 12. It's just like the, the numbers make no sense to look at. It's like looking at Bond's numbers, but as a relief pitcher. Right. Yeah, it'll be interesting because you're right. His numbers are incredible, but as a middle reliever, since he doesn't have saves, it'll be interesting to see if a guy like him gets any attention for it or not. Yeah, like I a setup like guy like that, if it was like a really bad team that had no one else great, sure, you play right. back when the Pirates were terrible. Yeah. Yeah, bring him in. But yeah, with Sale clearly going to be going. He's, I want to say, Chris Sale going into today third for pitchers in a baseball reference war uh-huh. in the AL and fifth overall for B-War in the AL. Yeah, he's been great. One of the things I do yeah. in that AL Central recap every week is list, you know, my picks for who the top five hitters and top five pitchers in the league so far. And I had Annabelle Sanchez, number one for most of the season, but he's been out for a while now, and so I moved Sale up to number one this week. I think you've got him, Max Scherzer, you know, Felix Hernandez. I think with Sanchez and uh, Clay Buckles in Boston being hurt, I feel like Sale's, you know, he's got as good a chance at going for the Cy Young as anyone. Yeah, right now I'm, it's a race between Scherzer, Sale, and shockingly, uh, well, Felix Hernandez has to be in the conversation, but um, yeah, actually. Yep. For yeah. Seattle, ridiculous yep. numbers. Two two six ERA, ninety six strikeouts and one hundred and seven point one innings pitched. It's, it's been quietly great because he plays for Seattle and no one's heard of him. But right, yeah, he's not he definitely deserves to be in the conversation. Yeah. Do you do you uh, do you care about the All Star Game? I know some baseball I mean, fans don't. It's it's something to watch. I hate yeah. the I hate the day after the All Star game because that is the worst day of the season because you realize oh my god the season's more than halfway over there's no baseball today yeah summer is just about over in my mind that was always the day 
I think that was one of the first times I realized, like, holy shit, this is the line for summer being over because I used to be a lifeguard down the street from the house I'm at right now, but the house I grew up in. And uh, when it would get to the storm when we were teaching swim lessons, we always run over to Burger King. And I remember, uh, I don't know what year it was, but the year Alfonso Soriano won MVP of the All-Star Game. Yeah. He, he hit a home run. I think he was with Texas at the time. And uh, I just remember reading a newspaper there and thinking, holy shit, school starts in like a month. <laughs> and so, yeah, the All-Star Game is always, it's more kind of like the signal that fall is coming to me than anything. Yeah. So I like watching it because I do, I've always gotten a kick out of, like, I'll watch the Pro Bowl for a minute just to see all the offensive linemen with different helmets in one spot. I just like looking out at the field and seeing, like, nine guys in different uniforms playing. Like, it just makes me smile and laugh. It's like Sandlot-esque where you just have, like, a bunch of guys being like, yeah, let's just go play with whatever the hell we're wearing. And it just seems so random and chaotic that I feel like the All-Star game. I usually pick the Home Run Derby as the day I drive back to Kansas for the summer because – if you drive nine hours through Illinois, Missouri, and Kansas, the Home Run Derby actually becomes entertaining. And probably takes about nine hours anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I like the All-Star game. I don't get worked up. I used to get really worked up about it and bent out of shape about who made the team and who didn't make the team. And I can't find the emotion to care about it that way anymore, but I like watching the game. It's fun to see that many players together and – and that's one of the things I always loved about the Home Run Derby and still do love about the Home Run Derby is you see all the players bring their kids. Yeah. And yeah, you just see, like, everybody, and even the players, just the look on their faces when they're watching those home runs. Right. It, it reminds me of that uh, gif where when Tommy was with the Twins a couple of years ago and he hit that one just monster home run and Delman right. Young's in the on-deck circle. Yeah, I know. And in exactly the background, what... you see Delman Young's face just, like, melt, being like, What? It's yeah. like anytime you see a professional athlete have a reaction like that to another one, it's right. always just so much fun to me to just be like, oh, you are human. Yeah, it's cool to see that they, you know, still enjoy it that much. Um, yeah, so I, I, we'll see. Like, I, I, I think Santana deserves to make it for the Indians. I think Kipnis deserves to make it. Certainly one of them will because someone's got to, and I think there's a decent chance they both will, but I'm not going to – shake my hand at the gods or lose any sleep over it if they don't. I, uh, I'd actually be legitimately it, surprised if they don't both make it. Yeah, just one of those, like, think of, well, what second, like, is obviously going to, it's either going to be Pedroia or Cano starting. Cano's getting voted but, in. Pedroia will get named for sure, which is fine. But yeah. there'll be a third, second baseman, and yeah. frankly, Kipnis has been better than either of them. I don't mind those two going ahead of him because they've been good longer, but on merit, Kipnis Plus, will be in there. I, yeah, plus with the markets they play in, there's no way they're not going. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, you always run into the possibility that some crummy team that doesn't really have an all-star, the guy they pick happens to play that position. But there's also so many guys cop out of the game with imaginary injuries or real injuries or end up being like 35, 40 all-stars per league. So, yeah. we'll see. It's pretty absurd now. <laughs> so you said you'll be at the game Saturday? I will definitely be at the game Saturday. I'll be sitting out in left field. Right have by you, the Sox Bowl. How long have you been back in the Chicago area? Um, been back for about a month and a half now. Have you gotten any games yet? Uh, three and a rain out. Uh, the rain out. I went to my first game the day after I got back. I drove up 
from Kansas on a Sunday night, stayed in Champaign for the night visiting old friends that are down at vet school there, drove uh-huh. back to uh, drove back to Plainfield on a Monday, and then that Tuesday went to Sox against Sox. Nice. Yep. There are 3-0 in my attending games, so Saturday should be a win. <laughs> All right, I, I've thought about this before. So you're you're three and zero when you're there. Let's say you could go. Let's say you went to twenty games in the season, and you could document that you were there, and those were the only games you were there for. And the team won all twenty of those games. Do you think you could convince the team to start paying you to show up to games? Uh, well, I know a couple of guys in the ticket office, and I know the public relations department head, but I don't think I could swing that. <laughs> I don't know that I've got that much charm in me. No, I think if you could document that you were they were twenty and zero with you there, they've got deep pockets. They might go for it. I don't know. Um, there's a guy that sits behind home plate every game in an Eminem's racing jacket. <laughs> yes, the I know owner the of, Yep, he owns Windy City Limousines. Okay. And uh, I mean, that guy can clearly document that he's there all the time, and he was there like every game during the magical 99-win season in 2005, and I don't think they count him tickets. So if that guy See, can't pull it. there for the losses. I'm saying if you could somehow prove you were only there for Only wins. there for wins. Like you had I mean, magic. Um, I'll talk to Bill Vick. I'll talk to Bill Vick's grandkid and see what I can do. All right, you find you know out how many, how many wins it would take for them to start paying someone to show up and maybe travel on the road with them. All right, we're almost out of time. But if I've got a White Sox fan on the line, last thing I got to talk about, Hawk Harrelson. And I need your take, Harrelson. Um, it's it's complicated because while I can recognize that he's not a very good announcer, he's the only thing I've ever known. Like sure. he has legitimately been. Like he's had, he's on his third partner now of my lifetime. Right. But he has been the constant. And one of the big arguments is, like, yes, he definitely is getting too catchphrasy. As he gets older, he relies on his stick more and more. But the huge one of the big knocks I always hear against him is um, it'll be the ninth inning, and it doesn't matter if we're home or away, but the other team will score what winds up being the game-winning run. And he right. gets silent. But, and he's like, oh, it's not very professional. And it's like, well, honestly... What do you need to hear from him at that moment? Like, you just lost in the ninth inning. Like, do I need the announcers being like, and that's it? And to keep talking? No. Like, he's feeling the same thing I'm feeling right now. It's like, well, crap. Like, that's um, true. Yeah, I don't, I don't, the, the silence yeah, isn't like the, the fifth inning back me up sometimes, but. Yeah. Yeah, like the game against the Mets the other night when um, Gordon Beck, it's, they get a weak pop-up on the first pitch of what should be the last out of the top of the ninth. They're up 4-3. David Wright's on second. And Addison Reed points up. Connor Gillespie comes in to catch it. And Beckham just comes flying in out of nowhere, trips over Reed, and winds up tackling Gillespie. The ball drops. Wright scores. The Sox would win in the bottom of the ninth. But at the moment, like, Hawk just lost his shit and just starts screaming. And, like, when it goes to commercial, it's just him, like, yelling. And it was like, well, yeah, I mean, this guy has to sit there and watch this every day. And just with how awful the defense has been playing, and he said something to the effect of, like, we just keep finding new ways to do it. And it's 
he is the mouthpiece of the fans right now because that is what the majority of the fan base is feeling. When That's how you almost lose a game is that. Like you're playing Astros-level defense right now, and it's it's hard to – I I don't blame him for losing his temper. I would – I don't know. I've listened to other – like I'll use MLB.tv to listen to other – teams announcers and stuff, and there's ones that I've been okay with, but then you get ones like the Kansas City Royals announcers, and I'm sorry, but anyone that complains about Hawk needs to listen to five minutes of Rex Hudler, and if <laughs> yeah, you're not willing to just like listen to nothing but Hawk, uh, Hudler, it's, it's awful. There was one time two years ago where it was ten minutes of watching him have a phone call conversation, picture in picture with his daughter, who was in the outfield stands, while the game was happening. So there was, there was no talk of what's happening on the field. It's just him. You hear one side of a conversation, and you're, like, watching his daughter talk to him on a cell phone from the outfield. And, and that was the day I realized I will never complain about Hawk Harrelson again. All right, well, what happens first? Hawk retires or Hawk dies in the booth? Oh, it's going to be die in the booth. He's going to be dying to boost. The man's never going to quit, and they're never going to fire him. He's going to die. Yeah, I don't think they're going to fire him either. He's I mean, going to have an aneurysm on, like, a Carlos Gomez walk-off home run. <laughs> well, Mark, thank you for joining me. Have fun at the game Saturday. I hope the White Sox get crushed, but as soon as they're done playing the Indians, best of luck to them. And, you have fun uh, at the doubleheader tomorrow. Thank you. I, um, I got an early morning flight. I'm hoping to... Might make it by first pitch. More more likely, I'm going to miss a couple innings. But on a doubleheader, that's not quite as big a sin, at least. Nah, not at all. Uh, Have a good flight to Oregon. And uh, hope to talk to you again sometime soon. Definitely. Take care. You too. All right, that was Mark Fermiano of Southside Sox, our sister site for the White Sox. Um, yeah, that doubleheader is tomorrow, and then games Saturday and Sunday. The Indians have played the last four days and might be on fumes, whereas the White Sox were off. But I guess that just balances out that the Indians are the better team right now. We have get to see Trevor Bauer make his, I think, fourth start of the year tomorrow. He keeps getting called up and sent back down because they kind of play around with the service time and, frankly, let him work on things in Columbus because he's certainly not all there yet. Um, but we get to see Trevor Bauer, I think, going in the first game, and then Carlos Carrasco going in the second game. So two guys with a ton of talent who cannot always harness it. So who knows what we'll get. Um, White Sox have decent pitching, a pretty weak lineup, though. So Bauer and Carrasco hopefully both have the opportunity to be successful. And then Ubaldo, it's Ubaldo time on Saturday. Get excited for those of you who are Big Ubaldo fans, and then uh, Masterson going Sunday against Chris Sale in a big matchup. So that's the weekend, and then uh, the road trip continues and finishes up in Kansas City next week uh, and takes us to the 4th of July. So that's what we're looking at for the next week. Um, Hopefully win more than we lose and gain a little ground on Detroit. I'll see you next week. Most of the time we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it. Then, in that moment, you don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the VergeCast series, Solo Acts, 
We'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done, and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of, like, afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts. Hello, I'm Neelai Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial Series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial Series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts.